everyone. Thanks for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. My name is Paul Ponte. I am joined today by the pissed off nerdy gamer, aka Pong, aka Chance Calloway, if you're holding on to what's golden. That's right. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> First entrance music. Good Christ. Yeah. Uh, when, I was, when I was pulling footage for uh, Dave Dutra's episode, uh, there, was, uh, there was your old entrance uh, video on YouTube. Good Christ. That still exists? Oh, yeah. Fucking all, Nick, your, all your wonderful uh, WFW footage and all that. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a word. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. How are we doing today? How are we handling the, uh, you know, the, this never ending COVID <laughs> um, fun? Uh, embarrassingly uh, unaffected. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm a, a crippling introvert hermit anyways. So as I like to say, I've been kind of social distancing and preparing for this scenario since 1982. So I th- I'm, I've been pretty good and I've been fortunate with, with work and stuff. So yeah, it's uh, at least for, for me, it's, it hasn't been too much of uh, too much of an issue, thankfully. So aside from the closure of wrestling and all that stuff. Yeah, that that is the that is the big bummer. Um, unless you live in other states, where apparently they're just like, we'll just have wrestling anyway. <laughs> That's right. going on, yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead and let's go back to the beginning. I like to go back. Uh, I mentioned, of course, the WFW and all that stuff already. But let's let's before we get into that, uh, I'm curious about how you found out about the world of independent wrestling. We all watch, you know, the WWF at the time, WCW, whatever it was at the time, and then eventually you learn about these magical world of independent wrestling. So how did that come yeah. about for you? Um, in, in, a, in a couple weird avenues. So, um, I had, I had a, a couple weird things growing up. So my, my dad, my family is, is all from England. I was born in England. We came over here early. So, um, from a little age, anytime I would go back overseas or visit family, there'd be world of sport on. So I had that early access to it, although they didn't really click at that time, you know, world of sport is very technical and kind of exhibition based. So it, it, that was kind of interesting. And then my dad would also for work um, would travel to Japan all the time. And every time he went to Japan, which was twice a year, he would always come back with some God awful shit, you know, there some, you know, and at that time, like in the early eighties, that was like the place, right? There was so much stuff over there that we weren't even exposed to. So through that um, he brought back, you know, all sorts of, uh, the, the import, uh, wrestling games. Cause he would just grab whatever he could get over there and bring it over for me. So like I had early exposure to Japanese promotions and stuff like that. So I knew that there was worlds beyond mm. like did the, the grip that WWF had and then independent, like specifically like local independence wise, I think my story lines up with 80% of everyone on here, which was uh, beyond the mat kind of cracked everything open, especially since, the APW part of it was kind of in everyone's backyard in, in this area. So it was even more kind of notorious and on the radar. So I remember seeing that and, and thinking that was, that was pretty cool. And it got me to, you know, those were the, the days where the websites were so fucking archaic. <laughs> um, so I would do whatever web searches I could. I found, you know, Vinny's old, like first old website that he had, and and stuff like that and i would just go down these rabbit holes for what little a rabbit hole you could do for the internets at that time yeah i remember uh, uh, i remember a long time ago we had like an old mac and 
I was on like the WCW website and I remember I so badly wanted to download the, uh, like the NWO theme song. <laughs> and like, yeah. and I remember it took me like an hour and a half to download because it's all on dial up. Yep. And for oh, some reason, it downloaded in such a way, which to this day, and I'm pretty savvy with computers nowadays, but I still don't understand how this worked. I downloaded the file. It was a WAV file. It was on my desktop and it would only play when I was online. <laughs> well, how, wow. I, it doesn't make any logical sense. To this day, I'm like, how did that, how, how? That's one way around the copyright law, whatever the fuck they do, the yeah. domain checks. But I'd sit there and I'd listen to that NWO theme song. Or it would be like you you would spend hours downloading a song and then just because of the shitty download transfer rate, you get the fucking skips. Or like Mm -hmm. it would cut off the last few and you're like, fuck it, I'll just roll with it. Yes. Those pops. (laughs) Fucking wave files, dude. Or people don't, people don't know. You see, these kids don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you'd be trying to download like The Sims on Napster or LimeWire or something or Kazaa. Yeah. And it used to be that you couldn't resume files. So if the other person quit who you were downloading it from, that file is just screwed. You're done. You have to start all over again. And yeah, that's. Andrew, Andrew computer would get cancer from LimeWire, Napster. So that that was always fun. Who cares? Uh, (laughs) But so what, what made you decide, okay, I like what I'm seeing, but now I actually want to do it. Um, it was always in my mind. So, so with, with the eighties and the huge WWF boom that everyone was, every, everyone, my age was embroiled in pretty much. Um, I was really drawn to the theatrical aspect of, of wrestling. Um, even as a kid, like I, I knew that there was something off about it. I didn't buy like fully into it, like this is real combat. Like I knew there was something theatrical, something performative about it. So I always thought that was pretty neat. Um, my dad, um, you know, put me into theater camps um, when I was really young as a way. So, so and this is, this will play into just my overall demeanor and the way I am in wrestling. But so, so I have Asperger's. So it makes, as a kid, um, I was far, uh, socially, I was just, not there. Um, so my dad being a, the, the engineer that he is figured I will going to put my son into theaters, uh, theater classes. He's going to be around more kids. He'll learn about, you know, emotions and what it is to emote. And that's going to help with Asperger's so he can pick up on social cues and stuff like that. So he'll have fun while trying to learn to navigate and kind of, you know, uh, uh, uh mirror, um, mirror emotions. So, um, so I already, I was already inclined to theater. I thought wrestling was super cool and it was kind of the combination to, to me, I always saw it and I still do. I see wrestling as the, uh, the ultimate, like the highest possible form of performing art. Like you have movies and stage is great, but there's wrestling is emerging of so many different aspects that like the people that are really good at it, you know, obviously I'm not one of them, but the people that are the masters of the business and that have gone place, like that's why the rock, you know, in particular, they, they make good movie stars most of the time because um, it's, you're, you're using a little bit of everything. So I would watch that growing up. I really gravitated towards like the goofy characters. I was kind of, I did a, a character class at Stoner U and I'd go through this thing where um, like, 
I, I was very particular, like Hulk Hogan was great. I liked Owen Hart, but um, I really gravitated towards like fucking Skinner for some God awful reason and repo man, like the, the, the like super weird, like Max moon fucking blew my mind that fucking two times he was around poor goddamn Conan and Mike diamond. But um, like that, like that, that whole, like the characters is what drew me in. So I guess like, you know, Vince McMahon, you know, I'm a mark for what Vince McMahon was trying to do at that point to kind of lean into that aspect of it. So I always saw it and thought that would be great to do. Like, that would be fun. I didn't see it. Unfortunately, you know, for me later on, I didn't see it as that sport aspect of it. I always saw it as a, as a form of performing performance art, some type of expression. So, um, like I was really into it. And then, uh, um, early nineties was difficult through all forms. I, I distinctly remember watching, uh, Halloween Havoc 91. I think it was 91 with the, uh, with the chair where Abdullah got fried in the chair. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. They had the electric chair match. Right. So I remember watching that pay-per-view and being like, uh, like that's, I'm all for the razzle dazzle. Like that's, that's a bit crazy. And, and I like, I started petering off an interest and then whoops. And then of course, uh, the, the attitude era started, um, you know, everyone at high schools is talking about it more. So I check it out. And then I got right back into it via the, the cruiserweights. And I was like, okay, I think I, I think I want to go do this. And in, um, uh, senior year of high school, I sent a application to UPW, um, trying to get in there. Um, and of course, uh, uh, APW kind of started my, my somewhat of a saga with, with them. I, I went, I went over there, I think in 99, um, might've been 2000 though. Um, and Donovan Morgan was there, uh, eating a can of tuna, like <laughs> straight out of a can with a fork, like, and like, and it was, that was the first thing I saw when I walked through the fucking door at the garage in, in Hayward was Donovan Morgan sitting in that little lobby, you know, which was the green room, um, eating a can of tuna, looking at me like, what the fuck are you? Cause I don't belong in wrestling. I mean, my, my body type was never, you know, it's easy to look down on. So, um, he gave me, and it was the very first time of interaction with any wrestler personally. And he completely gave me the the Donovan Morgan special, the indie handshake. And I thought, yes. what the fuck is this? <laughs> I was he like, does he have the- arthritis? Like that's fucking cold, dude. You have a pinched nerve or something, brother. So, uh, so that was interesting. And then right behind him was Vinny. Um, and, uh, and, and I went from there. I, I ended up signing up with, uh, with APW after that, um, the prepay. So I was, the next beginner class wasn't happening for another year or so. So I, uh, I think I paid six months into it, basically prepaid. Mm. Yeah. When I was, uh, first doing the website for big time wrestling, I remember going to see, uh, Jason styles training people at, at like whatever, like little garage area that they had for their training. And I remember just like distinctly it's burned in my memory is Jason styles half out the, the, like the little, the roll up door and he's smoking a cigarette and he's just like, you guys got to work in your fucking cardio. <laughs> I just remember. <laughs> <laughs> welcome that's to like, wrestling 
Yeah, I was like, that's like burned to my brain. And I was like, okay, there's something going, like there's something crazy about wrestling. Like there's, that's what I started getting like the idea. Okay, this attracts a very specific, like weird person yeah. <laughs> into the business, yeah. but yeah. All sorts, man. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it, it's really funny because then the first time I ever met you was at the WFW thing that, I, that we were talking about. Uh, we mentioned it in uh, the Dave Dutra episode. Uh, you know, it was basically like a backyard fed, but in the APW gym. And so it was like this weird mix of both. Yeah. And I just remember like, the only thing I remember was like, you were the Jim Carrey guy. That's the guy I remember. Like, that's how I remember it. I was like, and you did like the, the facial expressions like to a T and I was like, damn, that's crazy. Like looks so much <laughs> like him. It's so crazy. But yeah. Um, so was that, bef- was that before or after you started with training at APW then? So, so the, the, APW saga. So I never actually trained at APW. I okay. paid for six months. Um, so at the time, oh, and you got that money back, right? No, no, that and that <laughs> plays joking. into things too. I'm, I'm joking. There's oh, yeah. no way you're getting that money back. <laughs> F fucking long gone, brother. No more. <laughs> um, so at the time, I uh, I co co ran a, a children's theater company out of Dublin. So I would do improv class. You know, I taught improv. I I was a, a uh, director and I, I directed shows at the, the summer camps and all that stuff. So part of what I did was stage combat. Um, and I did six months into me prepaying APW and I was getting ready to go. Um, I was the worst stage combat instructor ever. And I, I took a really bad pratfall and I, I basically broke my neck. I cracked my neck. So it, it pinched my, my, uh, cervical column that it pinched my spinal cord. It shifted. So I, because of that, I had to go into Roland and tell him, listen, I, and I was in a halo and all that fucking shit and uh, told him I couldn't, I had to pull out. I just, I don't feel confident with this. Um, I'm really worried about my neck. I just, it sucks. And of course he, he said, uh, well, you signed a contract um, so you owe me this much still. Like he didn't even allow me to back out of the contract. He was, he said, no, you still got to pay it. And I said, uh, uh, I don't, for, for what reason you haven't rendered a service or anything to me. I haven't received a product. So, um, we went round and round on that. It was pretty fucking ballsy of me to do at fucking 18 or however old I was because, uh, you know, Roland will get what he wants. But um, in the end, uh, Roland let me out of the contract as long as I paid him $500 more. So I, I did that. So um, I ended up, you know, basically making a, a $2,500 donation to, to APW at that time. And I had no fucking money. Like, yeah, it was that hurt. It, it was a hurting. But um, so I was worried about my neck. I thought it was, you know, I can't do this shit anymore. I just focused on my theater stuff, um, teaching. And then my neck started feeling better. It healed. Um, I was able to roll around and, and do stage combat classes again and felt pretty good. So at that time I was still apprehensive about what I could do to my neck. How much would it hurt if I was actually in a ring, you know, bumping. Um, and I was perusing and, and, you know, lurking on the NorCal uncensored message board back in the day. And Nick had posted something about WFW, you know, looking for, if you want to come 
mess around in a ring or we're looking for wrestlers or whatever. So I, I emailed uh, Nick and he told me to come down and check it out. And my intention was I'm going to go down there. It's in an actual ring. So a, a weird thing with me, and it seems, especially because I did WFW, it seems kind of weird for me to say, but I never wanted, I didn't want to be a backyard wrestler. That was one thing. It's like, as much as I want to, I, if, if I wrestle, I, I kind of respect it enough to be like, I, I want to do it inside a ring. So I never did any backyard wrestling, um, untrained wrestling, of course, as WFW would become, but it, I was always in a ring. I never was on a mattress in a backyard. That was for some reason in my fucking head, that made sense to me to respect the business in that way, whatever. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> So I figured, hey, it's a ring. It's actually APW's ring, so it's I'm familiar with the building or whatever. So I went, and that's... Hey, you it, paid for part of that ring, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I did. I think I paid for the fucking upstairs apartment, uh, Donovan's cats and shit. Um, uh, so I, I did WFW, and Nick and I became really fast friends really quick, and I uh, I dug it. I've, you know, I was able to do things just fine. My neck felt great, and it kind of rolled from there. I just kept, uh, I kept going at it and, and seeing what I can do it was also the first realization that, um, uh, of my respiratory limitations would, would be a, a severe clamp down on, on how far I could go. So it was, it was a reality check that I was okay with. Cause I never, I was never someone who was like, I'm going to make it to WW. Like, that's what I want to do. My big thing is dumb as it is, is I just wanted to have like some type of creative expression. I thought it was a really cool medium to do stuff with. And it's interesting. That's all I wanted. So within like, cause my friend Kevin and I went there and we had this whole fucking match worked out. We fucking canned the whole thing like beans, dude. We, it was like a 30 minute fucking man. We had all these fucking spots. We were in package. We had package a through Z, you know, all this stuff that we were going to call. And then uh, like two minutes into the fucking match, I'm blown out the fucking building sky high <laughs> sucking air because I had an asthma attack. So I was like, you know, let's fucking pull the fucking reins on that shit. So that was, but it, that was a fun time, um, you know, getting to learn. There was a lot of people that went through there. I mean, that's how I met Taylor uh, Chupacabra and, you know, Dave Dutra was, came in with the uh, UG, was it UGWA or is it just yeah. like, at that time? So yeah, and uh, that was that was a fun time. And Nick was kind of like my gateway. Nick Nick was uh, I can't credit him enough for kind of what he did for me because no one I'm not that interesting of a person. He he had no reason to to be friendly with me or or to take me under his wing like that. But uh, he kind of introduced me more to APW uh, the the other people through APW. And during this time, Roland found out that I was doing in the ring there. Cause they had the, the fucking web camera. Mm -hmm. So he talked to Nick about it and he told Nick that um, this, and this is what Nick told me. I don't, whether this is fucking fabricated to stroke my fucking ego. I have no idea. Don't know why. Um, but Nick said that um, uh, he, ba what Roland basically told him was he either leaves and doesn't come back or you stop doing WFW. So Nick said, I'll stop doing WFW. Wow. So I worked I worked the last couple shows there with a hood on, um, just fucking around. I didn't really have a match. And then um, 
Uh, and then he pulled the plug and that's when Taylor, when, when Tupa's just like, Hey, you know, come to Sacramento with me, you know, ugly's there and, and he's pretty cool. Just come with me once or twice. See if you like it. And the rest is, as they say, is, uh, not quite history, but different, different setting. Yeah. Uh, there, that was, um, I was glad to hear from some people uh, that, that Roland was less vindictive later in life. Uh, but at the time it was definitely a, uh, like, ah, oh, you screw with me, buddy. I don't think so. Like, like yeah. that kind of attitude. And I understand it. Like, of course, yeah. you know, the older I get, I can see from his point of view, it's not like he was wrestling at that time was this huge fucking moneymaker. I'm sure, um, uh, beyond the mat helped a lot. I'm sure he really got a lot of movement from that, but he's not living in a fucking palace. And when mm-hmm. stuff like that happens, that's, you know, almost, you know, that that's losing money for him. So I get it. Um, kind of jumping forward way, way back. He was still holding on to that grudge um, decades later. Oh, right. Um, and so in 2011, um, again, just kind of jumping forward a little bit. But in 2011, when I came back and started wrestling again, I messaged, I reached out to him on Facebook and apologized, basically, because I understood that you know, how it seemed. Cause the one thing he said to me, he says, I'll let you out. You can pay me $500. How magnanimous that is. Um, give me 500 more dollars. Just if you come back, train here, come, come train here. And I said, sure. And that didn't end up happening. I went to SPW. So that's part of that ax to grind. So I apologize for that. And I said, I understand that was immature of me. And, and I just wanted to get it off my chest. Cause it's something I had felt some form of guilt for years and his reply to that was, "That's great." So, and then, he, and then he posted the link to the APW boot camp <laughs> in the message. So again, I mean, well, once once that bridge is burnt, brother, it's not getting built back up. Oh I learned that. So I I do I get in these weird sentimental moods where I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go on an apology tour and just fall on the sword, whatever the case. Sometimes I get something back and. Sometimes I get a, a fucking web link to signing up for another boot camp. So yeah, well, uh, literally, uh, me and Jesus, uh, the other host of this of this show, uh, we both were kicked out of the WFW, uh, out of the APW <laughs> boot camp because of uh, issues with Roland and others. But yeah. <laughs> that's you know, it happens. It happens, uh, especially at that time. APW and and everything around here was so territorial. It was like the own little territories, yeah, regional territories. So the attitudes were so much fucking different before everything kind of merged together. You know, later on in the early two thousands. Yeah, I think I think when when the thing is, especially like before business started to get bad, before like the big indie slump of the early of the like mid two thousand area. Before that, like it was easy to be territorial because they'd be like. We're running our shows. Don't well, don't do our shows and their shows. How dare you? Like, yeah. but then like once you, you, nothing's a great a great equalizer. Like everyone's starting to lose money because <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden you're like, maybe we all kind of need each quick. other. Yeah. yeah, maybe we all kind of need each other. Maybe you know, rising tides all ships that kind of thing. Yeah, and it did, Possibly. and it and it ended up working out. I mean, at APW had phenomenal training, so obviously they were they had the clout and they had a reason to puff out the chest the way that they did. Yeah. Um, it's just not the way I prefer to be treated, but yeah, I understand it's wrestling. That's how yeah. it is. So what was the, the SPW experience like? Uh, that was fantastic for me. So, um, you know, going over there, ugly, 
ugly is firm. Like, like, you know, he's not throwing shade all the time at you or telling you he's, he will be genuine and tell you about your strengths um, and tell you, you know, what to lose. He's very matter of fact. And I like that honesty in, in training. I like the, the kind of, of openness and directness with training where it's, and it's not all negativity, right? It's, it's criticism and there's a difference that there's a balance. And, and I really like that with ugly. Um, I mean, the way that I looked and the way that, that I am, it's not like anyone had high expectations for me. It wasn't Timmy, you know, coming in there with, uh, uh, looking like a, a million bucks, you know, somewhat already. Um, so, uh, I was just kind of another face in the camp when I got there, it was, I think Virgil was still training. Uh, Timmy hadn't come there yet. It was, uh, Virgil, Mike Hayashi, um, Will Heitman, um, Otis, Sir Samurai, I think was still, was, was, uh, still student at that time. Um, good. I know I'm forgetting other people, but it was, it was a little group and, and Taylor, of course. Um, but it was really cool. What I liked about the biggest influence that that ugly had on, on me was introducing me to Torimon because of all the Japanese stuff that I saw, it was always the fucking, the, the big dudes, right. It was Noah or it was new Japan. Yeah. And you saw people slapping the shit out of each other. Exactly. I yeah. fucking giant Baba desperately trying to fucking walk a ring and do a Russian leg sweep. So, um, when, when I saw Tori mom for the first time, it blew my fucking mind because it was, poetry to me right so in torimon it, there's it was submission based but the kind of sky day way of doing things is it's not the submission isn't what's beautiful about it it's how you get into it the mm-hmm. motion that you how you get into something and how you do it that makes it beautiful and makes it a, a spectacle so i was fucking all about that i mean it you know the 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 negative of it is that me it, I liked it so much that that's what I wanted to do. And that's not the way I should have ever been wrestling. <laughs> it doesn't fit my, it does, it doesn't fit me, but I really enjoyed it. So just like most people, when they wrestle, they, if they see something that they like or a performer that they like, they, they want to try and do that similar style. It took me a long time to learn that I have to kind of just love it from afar through a window pane, mm-hmm. you know, while it's raining outside, but I can, I can visit it every now and then, but I don't have full custody of it. So, but yeah, we, we would watch Torimon all the time. Uh, Ugly was very um, collective. He valued our opinions on things. Even if we didn't know what the fuck we were talking about, he wanted to, he wanted that discussion about wrestling and it really, it, it helped out a lot. You know, all the students, we felt individualized, not just lumped in with, with another, other group because you know everybody had their submission everyone had their pin everyone had their you know their fault whatever the whatever the case may be and all the students knew okay you can't use this this is this is chances right this is chances pin you can't use that one um i like that because it was it made made me feel like i had value even though i knew in the big picture i i was just a you know just another stain on the wall somewhere and then, uh, so how'd you end up uh, doing some shows at uh, for Pro Wrestling Iron? Uh, that was through Vinny. So okay. um, I ended up, so uh, I sold the theater company because um, 
people just weren't signing their kids up for theater anymore. It was soccer or sports, right? So the theater was kind of dropping off children's theater. So um, I was doing odd jobs. I was a fire systems engineer for a while working with AutoCAD. And then um, eventually I went to work for a pest control company and Vinny worked there. And it was fucking crazy because I was a huge <clears throat> Vinny Massaro mark. So um, we, we hit it off really big through work. Um, you would talk all day, you know, over the phone about wrestling and stuff like that. And that's kind of how I got in with, you know, the, the, the iron crowd, like he vouched for me again. That's another, my life is nothing but putting people over that stuck their fucking necks out for me when no one should have, but, but he stuck his neck out for me. He would tell Donovan and, and everyone is, he's okay. You know, let him do his stuff. And, and, you know, and, and get him on these shows. So yeah, I worked at mostly worked the dojo shows. I think I worked one like actual, like out in an arena show. And for the life of me, I can't fucking remember what show it was, but I know that, that it was the only fucking time in wrestling that I, that I wrestled without a shirt or some type of singlet. Cause Vinny said, if you work this show, you got to go out with your, you know, with your fucking white ass fucking glaring everybody. So I, I, and I think it was against Ugly and, and Vinny, and I took the Weapons of Mass Destruction, and that's all I remember. And that was a show, Vinny gave, Vinny gave me a, a forearm that was so fucking hard <laughs> that I got like involuntary Tourette's in the middle of the ring. <laughs> fucking hit me in the corner. And I don't think it was a receipt. I don't think I did anything stiff to him. It was just Vinny being Vinny. And he knew that that I could take it, but he I... He, he hit me and I just had a string in it. You know, there's people around the stage or whatever, but or the ring, but I just let loose with some God awful string as I slumped down in the, in the <laughs> fucking corner, wait, watching the lights fade out. But that, that was a fun show. And the, the weapons of mass destruction that they gave me when I flipped over and took the Canadian destroyer, my fucking Gumby ass rolled like fucking Sonic the hedgehog all the way across the ring into the fucking corner fucking nuts that was and that's all i remember about that show i couldn't fucking tell you any i don't know where it was i my my memory has these weird blackout periods like i know that that choopy and i were like married at the hip for like two years and we went to all these fucking shows and it was all taylor's doing i was just there for the ride um you know going with him to to all these shows and you know we worked for rob wiles and all sorts of fucking weird ass shows. And I don't remember a fucking thing. <laughs> I just remember that, that we, we did all, we did so many fucking shows and fairgrounds within a short amount of time. And then, uh, yeah. So I've, my, my wrestling memory has gaps here and there. And is, um, is Chupi how you, uh, got into a, uh, hood slam? Um, no, not that okay. I recall. So when I came back in 2011, um, I was working SPW shows and on the shows was, you know, Johnny, um, Plinko, Butabi, whatever, uh, Johnny and Sheik, you know, Sam was working those shows. So, um, I, I hit it off pretty well with Johnny up front just because of all the video game stuff, similar interests. So we hit it off and I had a triple threat with Sam um, at some point and, and she apparently enjoyed working with me. And, you know, when I, I'm a 
I love gear. So I had at that time, I think I had five different pairs of tights that I would take with me and I would just choose, you know, I would cycle them out, which show, which one, which, which one I use. And, and Sam saw that I had the Johnny cage tights, um, in my bag. And that's kind of how that kernel started. So she asked me if I would be interested in going to hood slam, um, at the time. And I was resistant at first, uh, just because I'm such a, uh, fucking nerd Nick in a square, you know, I don't smoke, I don't drink. So I, at that time in my head, falsely, all I saw was, was like, oh, it's just a show where everyone has an excuse to fucking smoke weed or get drunk and have a show. And I was like, that doesn't sound like the safest work environment, but I, I figured I'll do, I'll do a show with Johnny Cage, be pretty fun. And I can actually commit to that character fully and see what happens. And as is usually the way with hood slam for everybody, you go to one show and one show is then that's all it takes. So I went there and I was like, Oh, this is fucking, this is my jam. So I kind of went from there. So yeah, I remember it being kind of chic and, and Johnny that really kind of instigated and pushed me um, to go. I, I, I'm just like imagining like you going like back in time, like in your mind's eye and like telling Roland, like, fine, I'll give you your 500. But one of these days I'm going to be, I'm going to be wrestling an invisible Charlie Chaplin in front of a thousand people <laughs> in Oakland and you can suck it. All right. And just leaving. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he'd still have the same answers. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that would fucking matter to him. I mean, I no, know he really enjoyed the hood slam shows, but uh, um, I, I still don't think he enjoyed my work at hood slam when I was there. I don't know. Cause Larry, uh, Larry Blackwell, you know, I, I, um, he's another person that there's these like Mount Rushmore of people in wrestling that were nice to me that should never have. And, and Larry's one of those people again, that really helped me with, people at APW trusting me rolling aside, Right. So, mm. and this is kind of going in the way back machine, but so um, I would hang around as like Nick's flunky and Nick would do the filming for gym wars and sh- stuff. Right. So I just be that dipshit there screaming super dragon over and over the top of my lungs being the fucking worst Mark on earth. Um, We've all been and, there. We've yeah. All been there. And I was there for a very long time. Embarrassingly <laughs> long. Um, and I was very intimidated. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly shy and introverted anyway. So I'm never going to start a conversation up by myself for fucking anything. Um, and Larry, I can't even remember why, I don't know why he did it, but Larry, after one of the gym war shows, he's like, Hey, um, I'm having a birthday party, you know, next week, you know, you're free to come if you want. And I was like, me? He's like, yeah, just come to my, you know, we're all going to my, to my house, having a birthday party. I thought, oh, that's fucking weird, but I'll, I'll do it. It was outside of my comfort zone. I felt weird, but I went there and I played soul caliber with fucking everybody, you know, from eight and from that, like I really learned to, I, I love uh, James Watkins. He was always super nice, gracious dude to me, Larry, um, Sarah Del Rey or Nikki at the time. Um, you know, we actually would, would conversate like there there's from that, I got a lot more comfortable feeling that, well, I may not feel like I fully belong with all these other 
fantastic performers, but it, it, it eased my mind a little bit to kind of enjoy some of the interaction when I could. So, um, I can't even remember the fucking point of the question at this point. <laughs> oh no, we we're just, we we're just waxy lyrical about talking about, you know, that just thinking about like, it, it is, it is just a weird trip that like, you know, especially with hood slam, like you think about how crazy and bananas hood slam is. And then like how originally you were signing up for like APW, which at the time was very much like, this is very serious guys. Like, yeah, this, this is, this is, and this it would have driven me nuts, dude. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to survive if I had, had I gone through, I probably wouldn't have made it not necessarily because my, I mean, the, the cardio would have fucking broken me completely, but um, yeah, I just, I don't, the super serious environment I felt was not, it, it, it doesn't work me. It's not that I don't take it serious. It's not that I'm looking for someone to be lenient. I just want there to be some type of humanity to, and, and community to what they're doing. And the community at that time felt just very, um, very uh, not elitist that's a bad word for it but that's the closest i can come up it was it was the the click right it was everyone at apw was very serious about their craft and i was like but i want to you know i like fucking skinner and i like repo man like mm-hmm. that's kind of what i want to explore here not that they didn't have great characters and great gimmicks because they did um but yeah i just i don't think that would have been a good a uh, good fit for me so yeah, yeah. even things always have a way of working out the way they're supposed to one way or another. So, yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about uh pro wrestling iron because uh, Let's do it. <laughs> we have, uh, we, we have some mutual people we know uh, from the pro wrestling iron days. Yep. Uh, some are better than others. <laughs> so I'll start yeah. that out. Um, but I, I'm curious, actually, before we get into any, any of the funner stuff, uh, I'm curious what you thought about like the vibe at Pro Wrestling Iron. Because, like, when I, I remember when I first started helping out there, it was very much like we all were so like positive, like, oh, this is going to be it. This is like the next big thing. We got Noah connection. Everything's going great. And I had this talk with Michael Modest recently when we did this documentary thing. We we're going to come out with him about like the way it was in the beginning versus the way it was at the end. Like, how did you feel like the vibe was? Because it, it, it very once it tailored off, I, it, I left me very sad because I loved it at the time when it was very good, and then the second it seemed like oh this is going off the rails now, that's when yeah. it bummed me out. And and I mean and I think it's been said before that you know the, I think it, it's valid that a large part of that decline was that you know Donovan and Modest were working everywhere so much that it's it's weird where you have someone creating a company. And they're the parents and then they're gone most of the time. Mm. And sure, you have, you know, people like Vinny and other people to fill in where the training, the training's fine, but it's just not the same. You feel like you're, it's just being uh, neglected, sort of. It's just kind of being left. Um, but at least of the, the vibe that I got, I, it felt more accessible to me than APW was. It was a serious vibe, but it was, it was more human. So like, you know, when I would do the iron shows, you know, they had Malachi and a lot of the Reno guys there and they were just, they're fucking ribbing anyways. And Vinny's very, you know, effervescent and always joking and, and, you know, jockeying for a laugh. So, and because I was with Vinny, I, I don't want to say I had that, that protection because I certainly got fucking my, you know, I, I got ribbed and, and poked fun of as much as anybody, but, um, 
it helps, you know, because Vinny knew how difficult it was for me to converse with people and to be that person. So I, I did, you know, and just like I do at Hood Slam and other places, I spend a lot of time just kind of in the background watching everything and taking everything in. It looks like I'm having an awful time, but I'm not. I'm just a very pensive. I'm always in my head because it's the safest place I know where to be. So, um, yeah, I, but it, it was it was a lot easier to manage. And that, that's why I felt more comfortable, you know, working there and work, working those gym shows. And I never asked to go to the, you know, to work those larger shows that the one that I did with, with Vinny was him just kind of saying, okay, you're, we're going to do this you know, this, like, you're going to come with me and kind of force me into it, which I, you know, it ended up being fine. Um, but it was, it was cool. And you had a lot of the, the young guys there that were training that were really good. You know, you had Dane and you had Ray Kajimura and Joey Harder and all those guys were for being green were really good. And that says yeah. something to that training. Um, they made, they made an impression, um, you know, navigating things, with um really the only rough part of iron for me at least and it's not i mean saying it's rough is kind of overplaying it but it is is dealing with you know uh seth ryan drago slash uh simon gotch so um he's how do i hmm uh he was never like an asshole to me um, in fact, we would he, we would talk about, you know, nerdy shit all the time because he's very, you know, into the same stuff that I am. But when it came to like wrestling, one thing is, is he always like pushed the buck. So we would have a match and he would jam his knee and then it would be chance, you know, it would be my fault, a chance. You know, why did you jam my knee? I'm like, I didn't even touch your knee, bro. Like, it's not my fault if you're if your footing was off. Um so, and, and it was, he always just had a weird, a weird thing. And, and years later when we wrestled at, uh, at, um, W, um, uh, man, what was it? CCW, mm-hmm. uh, um, with, uh, buddy and JJ's, um, thing. Um, we, we, I wrestled him a super otaku on that. And, and I don't think he, he enjoyed that very much, mm. but I don't know. I mean, years later, I mean, I, I never try to you know, people change and I'm sure that he was fine. And once he did, before he got, he went up, um, you know, to NXT and all that stuff, he, he just started doing his strongman gimmick. And I saw on Facebook him posting stuff about doing the strongman, um, gimmick. And I thought it was fucking awesome. So like I did reach out to them, to him then. And I messaged him and said, Hey, I know my opinion doesn't fucking matter, but that's, that's it. Like, that's what you stick with that again i thought it fit him perfectly because he's someone that always kind of floundered with finding something that worked mm-hmm. for him so i hope he's you know i hope he's yeah. doing well yeah at the time i really felt like he was just like like wrestling has a lot of big personalities and especially with like i worked at like big time wrestling and kirk white would bring in you know, Bret Hart, the Road Warriors, Billy Gunn, like big names. Yeah. And I've never felt big timed as much as I did by Seth. And yeah. and he was just an indie dude who had just finished training not that long ago. And I just felt like he constantly big timed people around him. And, and I was like, I that uh, it it bugged me because I was yeah. like, like literally like Bret Hart doesn't big time people. <laughs> and like you, like to yeah. me, like it, I just thought it was a shitty thing to do. It was a shitty way to act. 
And, you know, and, you know, other people have said stuff about stuff he, he does in the ring that they were like, um, what are you doing? And they kind of like, he maybe tried to like take advantage of some people in the ring, stuff like that. And that kind of thing is, you know, obviously not okay also. Yeah. So like, that's my main thing with him. I, I was just never a fan of his. Like I said, maybe he's grew up and he's a totally different dude now. Who knows? But yeah. at the time, I really felt like just like, this is just a dude that, you know, like someone just like, they rub you the wrong way immediately. And you're like, Hmm, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and again, I, I, I don't want to sit here and just and smash a, a, a mallet on the guy. Cause I'm sure that he had his own dealing with his own yeah. issues that I had no idea about, but they, that's, that's a pretty good assessment is that you always felt big timed by him in some way that he was kind of always looking down no matter yeah. who it was, which is, odd <laughs> yeah but yeah yeah pwi was 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 a crazy thing because like the wrestling was so good like like you mentioned uh we did we released the match recently with uh with hook bomberry and bison smith and that was like Hook's right. fifth match ever cheer and for your hero where's your hero now yeah so <laughs> such a great such a great match and i was like oh. yeah. but like like Joey Harder and like Ray Kijimura, those guys were awesome too. Like, yeah. I, like Joey was always a guy. I'm like, I was shocked when he kind of quit because I was like, oh, I thought like he would have kept going with it for a while, but yeah, you no, know, I guess, I guess it just you know, it just depends, you know. You you never know who's gonna quit the business and who's gonna stay in it, you know. Like even Scott Lost, I interviewed him and he had a pretty long run in PWG, but he was like, he's like, oh yeah, sometimes I think like. Oh, I guess if I would have stuck through this for like another 10 years, I'd be like an AEW or something with all my other friends. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, but then I think, God, I'd have to do this for another 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, when it's, when it's, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. That's why I think people retire and unretire so often. Yeah. That's the, that's the pull. You, you get that itch again, or, you know, it's, it's, you know, I've, I've, gone on and off three times so it's it's the same thing every time oh this is now i've you know i think of something new i kind of want to play around with or you know something catches your eye that that makes you want to do it again and and um some guys just don't i don't know they don't they don't get that yeah <laughs> depends on what what it also depends on what their motivation for doing it to begin with was you know yeah what's fulfilling them yeah well like, like I washed out pretty easily, pretty quickly after only a few months at iron. It was like a multiple of things. It was like one, my heart wasn't really in it Two, my car, like got stolen and I didn't have a ride anymore, like all kinds of shit. But that was just an excuse for the fact that I was like, you know what? This probably isn't for me. <laughs> so I, yeah. I figured that out immediately. But, uh, because I realized the thing I was into it was I knew I was like, like you said, Oh, I'm not in this to like, I don't think I'm ever going to be in WrestleMania. Like I thought I'm in this because I really like hanging out with these dudes. I like the, the camaraderie with it and whatever. And so I stayed involved with indie wrestling without actually being a wrestler. So that's just what I ended up doing. Yeah. And then now I do this, which is fun. Yeah. But so you got into it and you ended up finding hood slam, which is like perfect for what you were into it for. You're like, I love exactly. the vibe. I love the entertainment aspect, which is, you know, they literally have an event called entertain you. So, yeah. you know, that's what it is. Uh, is there, are there any moments though, where, you know, you mentioned, you know, don't drink, don't smoke any of that. Is there any moments though, when, when it did kind of clash with you where you're like, Oh, I don't know if I feel comfortable right now in this situation. No, no? that's what was so cool about it. Yeah. Cause, and I mean, at, at, by the time that I had, you know, I was going to hood slam, all the boys and gals knew how I roll, right. You know, the twins, you know, they knew that I wasn't into, into that. So, so no one, I, no, no one was, was disrespectful 
of that, right? Like, so you, you don't have anyone pressuring you being like, dude, why you, come on, Chance, what fucking, what are you doing? Like, no one does that to me. They know that I'm, why I'm there. I don't judge anyone for doing it. I, I don't, I don't care at all what anyone just, it's just not for me. And as far as like, you know, you would see people, you know, people are, are smoking backstage or they're drinking, but once you get in the ring, um, things are, they handle their shit. You know, I, the only time I ever got really hurt, uh, uh, bad in, in a, uh, at hood slam was my own doing mm. now, is me fucking up or, or not hearing something called correctly. It was never anyone else's fault or, a uh, poor dexterity due to, you know, uh, uh, substance influence, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I so, gonna yeah, say, it's I never going to say, I thought you were going to say poor dexterity because I rolled the wrong die earlier. But <laughs> yeah, fail rolled that one. night. Yeah, the dexterity uh, is already low enough as it is. Yeah, speaking of of uh, you know your your persona, the pissed off nerdy gamer. Uh, t- talk to me about Superplex. Oh my God, Jesus! Yeah, so <laughs> the, the most embarrassing of of my outings there. So uh, for you know, uh, I have many interests, right? So, so there's a lot of things that make me tick. It's also, it's one of the main reasons why I kind of cycle in and out on wrestling because other interests, whether it's, you know, pinball or during that time frame, you know, um, I I've dabbled in game design, you know, I, I, I took game design courses and, and I wanted to make something, but, um, I could never do something in video games cause you need too many people. I'm not that talented. So, um, I went through a stint for, for a few years where I was like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to make a tabletop game. I'm going to work on tabletop designs and I'm going to get something published. Um, so that, so Superplex is, is part of that. So Superplex is a micro game. Um, it's 18 cards only. So they, they fit it into a wallet. So it was a travel game and it's uh, basically, it's a, it's a wrestling themed micro game and essentially it's just because what I find funny about like video game wrestling games, a lot of it, like when you boil down the mechanics for a lot of them is it's rock, paper, scissors, right? Just like with the, all the N64 games, all that fucking is, is a new coat of paint, an awesome coat of paint on rock, paper, scissors, as far as how to be good at it. It's that psychology of it. So, um, I figured I'd do the same thing with Superplex, except kind of put it on steroids and, and so to speak, uh, and turn it up. So um, it's kind of this push your luck, um, uh, rock paper scissors game where the 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 more um, the more moves you get off in a row, the more you can win the rock paper scissors in a row. The more damage you do, the more setups you do. Um, and then you can, you know, finish off and get enough momentum to do all these finishing moves. So in essence, it was great. The problem with that game is I literally designed it in a day and a half for, uh, you know, this publisher that was doing the, the, the wallet game. So it's a little, there are things that I see about it that I was like, that's, I, that should not be in there. Like I can mm-hmm. do better than that now. You didn't but, have time um, to play test it basically. Yeah, I, d- I really didn't No, I, because I, I, the publisher that, you know, published all these micro games, I was like, Hey, this is a concept I have for the game. You know, what do you think about it? And he's like, that actually sounds really good. Let's, let's do it. So I had the art done and everything done within two weeks and sent over to him. And in hindsight, I was like, yeah, it's probably not, not the best move. Definitely not the, you know, best thing I've made, but it's still cool. Like the characters are really neat. You know, uh, uh, the muscle, 
caricatures were, were a big anchor. The Kanikuman was a huge anchor for the art style of the game and the feel. So a lot of the characters in there are kind of in that Kanikuman, very out there um, uh, style and, and weirdness. And of course, Pong was a character because, you know, selfless Mark. There you go. Always be promoting. Always be promoting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I actually, you mentioned pinball. I have a uh, 1979 Stern Dracula pinball machine. A 79 one? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, that one, um, have I played Dracula? I know I, Bram Stoker's Dracula, of course. So so that one, that's a DMD game. Uh, so do you have that like in your garage? Or Yeah, I have it in the garage. The thing is, I actually just got a new motherboard because the motherboard is, is destroyed now. Uh, yeah. So I just got a new one to put in. So I have a, I have like one of my cousins, he saw, he like does solder work and stuff. So he's going to come in and, and do it for me and get it installed so I can play it again. But yeah, my, my dad bought it in like 1989 from some guy for like 50 bucks. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, and it's been sitting in, in the garage for that long. And I was just like, you know oh, what? Man. I'm going to, then I looked up like how, how it would be to fix it. Yeah. Cause he said, it's just the motherboard. That's the problem. And so then I looked up and apparently it's really easy. As long as you could solder it, you could, you could fix it pretty easily. Yeah. So I'm like, All right. I mean, it's very intimidating. I mean, for most people, you know, when you lift up a pinball play field and you look underneath it, you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, yeah. what is this shit? <laughs> and yeah, most of the, a lot of the, the, um, pinball repair people, the people that are good at it have fucking robotics degrees and shit like it some of the games you really do have to have some type of engineering background to fix it. But 90% of the stuff, man, you're good at soldering or just tracing a wire or checking fuses or some dumb shit like that. And you can, you can fix it up. So does that have the, I'm, I'm assuming that's a solid state. So that has like the digital display and all that mm -hmm. on there. So yeah, nice. Yeah, it's pretty dope. And then I and I saw, I saw like online people were selling like the, the original manual, like on eBay. And I think, I, and I think if I would get it, like, fix like i want to get that too i just want to have like the whole thing all set up you know what oh, i mean yeah and that's but, yeah. and then you'll get all the schematics in there that'll make your head spin again and you're like how does this how does anyone look at this yeah. and know what the fuck this says this is like <laughs> sanskrit so uh, yeah it's a it's a sickness for sure i my my first pinball was uh tales from the crypt and i got it just because i wasn't into pinball i was just like ah, i'm making a game room for my house and I have to have one of every experience. So I got a crazy taxi, you know, for to sit down writing, you know, games. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, oh, I'll get, I'll just get some fucking bullshit um, pinball machine and I'll get something that kind of seems interesting. So I saw Tales from the Crypt out in Stockton and I was like, fuck, Tales from the Crypt, I'm all about that. So I brought it home and then it's a, it's a fucking sickness, man. I don't ever <laughs> recommend it to anybody because once you start getting into pinball, it's like the worst, most expensive fucking hobby ever but i yeah yeah buddy it's fun, of mine though. it's great a buddy of mine who i went to elementary school with his dad was a, a a video game repair person so like i would go to his house and his garage just literally <laughs> would have like a, a rotating array of like 20 different video games like arcade <laughs> games yeah because then you know, after he would fix it, it would take, you know, a couple of days before he would return it to the person. Yeah. So he'd be like, they'd be like, oh yeah, so these ones work today. So you just have like 10 so new <laughs> games. You could just sit there. Let me put it on free mode for you. Okay. And I'm like, Badass. this is the greatest thing ever. Like, yeah. I'm like, your dad's oh, the coolest guy in the planet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, especially yeah. back in the day. Like, because I mean, nowadays, you know, home arcades and stuff is much more normal. 
There was no emulators. No, fuck that. that. My my friend Jason had a had a a hollowed out arcade machine in his house where he'd switch the Jamma boards. And I thought it was the fucking end all be all of the universe. I was like, wait, so you have fucking Ninja Turtles and fucking General Chaos like on a fucking Jamma board? And he just we we would switch them out like carts. And he oh. had the you know WWF uh, uh, WrestleFest or Superstars or whatever it is. I was like, God, it's fucking fantastic. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but that Ninja Turtle ball. game is <laughs> aces. Absolutely, the ones that were, I remember like the most. Well, this is super off wrestling talk now. The, 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 the one Forward. number ones were like the Simpsons game, the Ninja Turtles game, the X Men game. It's yeah. just oh my I god! Still those... hear fucking, I can still remember walking through the the uh, uh, movie theater and hearing the X Men game with fucking Colossus doing his super over. Yes. The, uh, uh, or the Simpsons game, listening to the fucking Bart and Lisa tag team move where they run around. Yeah. Fuck, man. I think it was both the Ninja Turtle and the X-Men one, too. They, they, everyone, when they did a jumping kick, they did it like a drop kick. I remember that. <laughs> I was always like, ass. it's a drop kick. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, flying man. drop kick. It's awesome. Uh, Those anyway, the fucking days. With that, the booker has definitely ran out and said, oh, time shit. to take it home, brother. <laughs> Because but, anyone who's who's listening to this who's not into video games, I apologize, but oh well. Everyone's into video uh, games. <laughs> Fuck them. Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead. Uh, these are you know some rapid fire questions, but of course take as much time as you need. There's no crazy rules here. There's no actual promoter. Roland's not going to come take your money, so everything's fine. <laughs> He'll um, try. Yes. He'll try. Uh, what are some of your uh, favorite road stories from your days on the indie scene? Um. So, um, because I'm, I'm such a, a awful friend maker, like I did a lot of my traveling alone. Um, Mm. you know, Taylor and I traveled a lot during that time period where we were married at the hip, but it's mostly just kind of lightheartedly, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not fucking wild and crazy, you know, I'm not cool. So, you know, people like fucking Adam Thornso and and, and twins that are super, you know, everyone likes them and they like hanging around them because they're fun. I'm not that fucking person. I'm just, I can't let loose like that. So um, I'm a fucking, you know, uh, wet sand and underwear type of person. So uh, they, you know, I don't remember anything specifically like with, uh, 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 you know, running around with Taylor or anything. That's a fucking crazy story. Um, I do remember once, like the, the road stories that I do have is from before I actually wrestled like with Nick running around with Nick. So, um, APW, I think it was APW. Maybe it was someone else was doing shows down in LA. I want to say Barstow, but I really don't think that that's it. Um, is there a Legion hall or something that they did a show at one time? Fuck. But Nick, um, Nick said, Hey, there's a show in LA tonight. Like, Super Dragons there. It's a lot of the SoCal was it guys Rev Pro? on the show. Maybe it was Rev Pro. I I know for sure that that we watched. I think it was a Rev Pro show. Was in Frankenstein's, mm-hmm. and I know that Nick and I watched a quite a few shows in Frankenstein's when we went down for the weekend. And I remember fucking there was a. I think it was a Super J Cup or something like that. And the fucking finish of the the, the final match was Super Dragon versus Mister Excitement which I always got a fucking kick out of that. Someone's gimmick was Mr. Excitement. Yes. And he's the most unexciting person I've ever seen. So it's, so, and the fucking finish to the goddamn match was Mr. Excitement giving super dragon, a fucking dragon suplex off the top rope. And I thought that was the fucking craziest and dumbest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was all about it. I, that blew my fucking mind. Cause I was already, you know, 
there for Super Dragon, whatever was happening. That that blew my mind. Anyways, there's this show. Nick Nick called me and he said, Hey, there's this show in in LA. Uh come down here and, and you know help me out with this stuff. And I was like, okay, when in it, when is it? And he's like, uh, it's in three hours or four hours. And I live, you know, I was in Dublin at the time. So I fucking got in my shitty ass Nissan Sentra and I violated all sorts of fucking speed codes that I'm surprised my car made it through. And I I don't think I've ever made it to LA faster than I did that (laughs) night. And I got there right as the fucking doors open. And that was fuck. That was fucking crazy. The other, um, the other thing is Nick and I went to the last two Epic shows. So, um, Epic and and one of those shows was the the show that got canceled where they they had the main event which is the Dragon versus Dragon versus Dragon I think it was Ultimo versus American versus Super Dragon, and everyone was fucking ready for it. So um, Nick and I made a whole meal out of it. We went up there, fucking jazzed about the show, and the show never happened. Got canceled, and then Nosawa was out in the parking lot chopping people for T-shirts. And it was it was a real fucking weird like sitting in that parking lot for a fucking couple hours just watching Ultimo Dragon wondering what the fuck is going on and Nosawa chopping everybody and it was really it was a neat experience as someone at that time was just going up there to be a fan to see like wrestlers are just hanging out and fucking joking with people and trying to hustle and get their merch brother you know get yeah. that fucking dollar brother so that's that's a lot of my you know road trip you know stories wise I'm I'm. I'm pretty mild. I don't do any, I never found myself in a crazy position or, you know, doing anything too crazy. Uh, speaking of, of what you said, you were talking about, Oh, I'm the quiet guy that sits in the corner and blah, blah. But when you were working shows uh, with some people, maybe you weren't so familiar with, did you ever get like the vibe that maybe people, that people thought like, Oh, what's this guy's deal? Like, why is he, is this guy not like us? Yeah, no, all the time. And I I mean, you know, people, I, I still, and it, I don't try to exude that vibe. Cause again, I genuinely am probably enjoying where I am. I just like, I'm mm-hmm. very pensive and I'm not a small talk type of person. A lot of people at hood slam know that about me. They just know that's how chance is, but yeah, you, you, you go to these shows where people aren't used to me and it does. It seems like I just don't want to be there. I'm very quiet. I, you know, I'm kind of in my own world and, um, you know, there, there's a couple times where I definitely get that chilly vibe going on. But then when it comes to, you know, working out a match or talking with someone, when I have an actual focus for what we're talking about, I'm all about it. It's just when people try to do, you know, small talk with me or like it's, it's as where is this to say, you know, having interactions with fans for me is very jarring because I don't like I, performing for me in the ring is very emotionally draining. Cause it's not mm. who I am. It's a light switch that goes on. I am completely fucking kayfaving all emotion and I'm an automaton until I go out of the curtain and then it just, it comes off. So after the show, you know, I can never still be in character. Yeah. You know, at hood slam when they were running the merch and I had my t-shirt, you know, I, I came out with my, my t-shirt design for merch, you know, Corey, the guy running the merch table, he'd be like, Hey man, come out, you know, when your match is done and stuff, come out and work the merch table, you know, in character as Pong. And I'm like, that sounds like fucking torture. I don't, <laughs> I can't do that, dude. I'm sorry. Like I just, it's not, not the way I've, because it's the performative aspect is very like, 
you're in the ring, you're doing your match. That's the play, right? Scene curtain comes down. Like after the show, when you're doing a meet and greet with the cast, I don't, I don't want someone to be still like fucking fabing me acting like a heel. Like we, we get it. Fucking wrestling is a work. Stop it. Like, so again, my personal opinion, I don't think anyone else should act like me. It's, you know, I'd probably sell more merch and be more better liked by, you know, have more fans if I actually did that shit. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, but but once it comes down to like talking about a match and working something through, um, it's a lot easier for me to relate and kind of get on the same wavelength with with people. Yeah, I used to go to uh, when they used to have it, uh, the Los Angeles Podcast Festival. And uh, when when you go there, uh, speaking of nerdy things, that's a super nerdy thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but like. There would be guys that are like pretty prominent podcasters, like Mark Maron would be there, and like Sarah Silverman and Pat Patton Oswalt. All kinds of people would be would show up, and they would just be like kind of chilling and talking. And there's a dude I remember. It's one of the funniest things. His name is Howard Kramer. Yeah, he, Howard Kramer, who charted. Yeah, yeah. yeah, great podcast. So in the <laughs> podcast community, he's very well known. Yeah. So we're out like in like it's like the Esplanade area, of the hotel, you know, like outdoor bar area. And we're sitting there, we're all like in a circle and we're just all talking. It's just a bunch of fans and him and we're just bullshitting. And somebody asked him a question about the podcast and he goes, Hey man, hold on. He goes, let's just pretend I don't have a podcast. <laughs> he's all, he's all up until now. We've all been just friends. And he's like, let's just keep that going, man. Let's keep it going. <laughs> yeah. He's all just pretend I don't have a podcast. Let's not ask. Oh. You, let's not even talk about that. Let's just, he's like, we're talking about all kinds of stuff. Let's talk about everything. And he's I like, fucking. But, and yeah. I was like, I love that. I love that so much. He was like, hold on. Just pretend I don't have one right now. Just we're, we're buds right now. Why can't we just be friends right now? <laughs> I, I, akin to that is like me at me at work. I don't want fucking anybody at work to know that I ever used to wrestle or that I do <laughs> wrestle. I don't fucking want that coming out. I, I'm, I'm at work to work and that's it. Like I let, you know, the branch manager for me, I let him know what I do because, you know, usually once or twice when Hood Slam was running a month, I'd have to take the company car out to Oakland. So I'd let him know. But other than that, it's like, I don't want someone blowing my fucking blowing no. my cover here. Cause then everything's going to be the same thing. It's going to be, you know, Hey, br- Hey, Hulk Hogan. Wasn't Hulk Hogan cool. And I'm like, yeah, it was really <laughs> cool. You want to talk more about what happened like 20 years ago yeah. about Stone Cold? Yeah. Or that awkward, like they accidentally bump in. You go, oh, sorry, guy. Don't yeah. want you to body slam me into the table. Oh, and you're fuck like, off. <laughs> yeah. For Christ's sake. I get it. Yes. Wrestling's a thing. Everyone thinks it's a joke. It's funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, with wrestling kind of in, uh, you know, hiatus in the area as it is right now, what is uh, your latest creative outlet that you're working on? Um. That's a good question. <laughs> so, so lately I've been reorganizing a lot of my, my game room stuff. It sounds super uninteresting, but you're talking to a guy who I, has, you're talking to a guy who has like all 200 of his DVDs up by alphabetical order. So continue. Yeah. It's fine. Yes. 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 <laughs> Cause I, you know, different storage solutions, like, like working stuff out like that. Um, I am still working on a couple, you know, I'm, I'm learning uh, unreal engine four. um, game stuff just so I can work on a couple things that are in my head and seeing if I could pull it off by, by myself. So there, the avenues are there. I'm kind of in more of a consume mm. mode at the moment where it's like, I, I have these wavelengths where I'm like, okay, kind of creatively, I don't feel like there's a ton of stuff that I want to do right now. So I'm going to, you know, play, you know, 
play games or I'm going to listen to some audiobooks about particular things to see what that, you know, gets going and, and moves me on. So I'm, I'm kind of at the moment I'm, I'm in that lull, uh, before the shutdown happened, I was going to go back to wrestling. Um, cause I had, um, so with, with hood slam after losing the gig, um, so I had the gig for two years. And then after I lost it, um, you know, and I was talking with Sam about what happens afterwards. I was just kind of like, let's just like, I just want to go off into the sunset, like back at like, cause, cause there are some things with wrestling that I do feel very traditional about. And the thing that I like about like with territory days, I know this is going off on a tangent. I apologize. No, totally but, fine. Um, but like in the territory days, what works so well is the talent you had face talent that was typically always there, right? They had their baby face. That was the regional baby face that hardly ever left the promotion. That's why they're the baby fit. Everyone knows them and they have that history. And then you would have the outside heel come in, which would cycle from the other territories. Mm -hmm. And then they do their business. They do their program. And after the heel wins, they get the title, the baby chases, the baby beats the heel. And then the heel fucks off, right? They, they go, they don't linger around so they can get beaten again and again and again. So that was kind of like with, with hood slam, it was like, I could have still, gone on and, and kept wrestling after that. But I'm like, but what, what does Pong do after that? Right. I had been the heel, the top heel for two years with a title and you lose it. It's like, no, this is, this is the territory. This is when flair leaves the territory. I just compared myself to where flair was fucking <laughs> stupid, but this is a metaphor. So, you know, flair's leaving the territory now. So I have to go away. Pong has to go away and be completely out of the zeitgeist so that he can come back and make it make sense. Plus it gives other people what I really liked about hood slam and still do is that people get handed the ball that don't normally ever get a ball handed to them. And that really helps <laughs> like for, I mean the ball, I mean, I had a title a couple of times, you know, tag titles or something somewhere. Um, but no one ever was like, you know what, I'm going to like give you the title. Like we're going to actually do a program and invest energy into what you do. And I was like, that's fucking nice of you. <laughs> so like after I figured Pong leaves, someone else has to fill that vacuum. You know, Mike Rain was still doing James, which is a big heel, but it gives the opportunity for someone else to come up and fill that space. Everyone gets bumped up. And I feel personal opinion. I feel that too often in promotions, people, especially heels hang around too long and then it doesn't become special anymore they don't become special anymore. And then they just do the same thing over and over again. So it's like, I wanted to, you know, I'll leave the, the territory. I'll leave. I'll come up with some new things, some new directions, new ideas for matches or something that I want to do creatively. And then I'll come back when everything kind of dies down. And, um, um, that was, I, in April of 2020, I was going to make my return to hood slam mm. and then, yeah, Every, everything both, the rug got pulled. Both you and Anton had the same idea to come back at, at then. And we were supposed to have a match together. My my return match was supposed to be with him, and then he hurt his hand, so they were going to do something else with me. And then I was like, man, just can't catch a break. And then when I left my last match at Hood Slam, they had been building up for a year, basically, or a year and a half for me versus Drugs Bunny, you know, Mikey in for for Entertainia. 
And unfortunately, you know, poor Mikey, you know, his shoulder, I think, or, or arm got fucked up. So he couldn't do it anymore. So we had to switch last minute. And that really sucked because I was looking forward to, to being able to work with Mikey. And I think that, you know, Pong and drugs could have had something real, you know, real feisty and, and interesting. But it's like, and, and again, during the, the Hood Slam time, that's all I worked it was Hood Slam because mm-hmm. I wanted that exclusivity of, you know, I don't want to be Pong anywhere else. It's not good for Hood Slam if Pong is somewhere else. If someone, if anyone has a weird idea that they want to actually see a Pong match, they have to go to Hood Slam. They don't get that character anywhere else. So I kind of stuck to that. I have a weird loyalty to, to, to things like that when something strikes a chord. It's good. It so, makes it more special. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite move or hold that you do not use? <laughs> um, so <laughs> hmm. there are things that I used to do that I, that I don't do any longer that I miss quite dearly. Um, so I used to have a move, um, to <laughs> kind of back to God, I'm so fucking long-winded, um, but to backtrack a bit. So Vinny and I always used to talk about new moves, right? So we'd always create different moves. That's what we talked about on the phone all the time is making up new things. And I had this move that I used once or twice at CCW, which is, um, it's like a corkscrew. It's like a double underhook side, like bitch slap power bomb type of move. <laughs> so I, it's difficult to explain, but it's really neat. I really liked it. I just don't have the strength to do mm. it eff- efficiently to everybody as I want to. So I had to leave that. Like, I still think that that move um, is really neat. If the the opportunity comes down the line and someone's light enough, I might use it again. Um, But like for like normal moves, I think that the fucking Phoenix Flash is fucking crazy. I think people that do it are crazy. Mm. Like five star, you know, or that five star. um, Shooting star presses are neat, but I don't know. The Phoenix Flash, just the kinetics of that move always impressed me. And I'm like, that's, I'm never going to do that, but it looks pretty sweet. I wish I could. Um, and, uh, yeah. Vertebraker is always good too. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't so fucking rough. Yeah. I, it's funny because like, um, when you get older, the crazier moves, they, they change in your mind. Like I remember watching, you know, WCW cruiserweights and everything. And every once in a while, like on the WWE network, I'll pull up like old psychosis matches with like Rey Mysterio, just like great shit. Yeah. And before I'd be like, Shooting Star Press, oh man, that's insane. It's the most amazing thing. But now when I see Psychosis do that top rope leg drop, I'm yeah. like, his fucking ass. It's fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, dude, yeah, um, I oh. get that. <laughs> Same thing, you know, watching like, uh, you know, Alabama, anything that's like a top rope leg drop, I'm like, fuck, man. Like the way you have to hit, like I understand that, you know, the, the top rope uh, uh, headbutts is a fucking murderer, but yeah god that has to be like 1a is a fucking leg drop because that shit ripples through your spine psychosis did that shit from the top rope to the floor outside i'm like what are you doing (laughs) how much are they paying you it's not worth it i could tell you that much yeah uh like even like hulk hogan from all the leg drops needed like spine surgery and he freaking just did a little running yeah (laughs) he did the shittiest leg drop of all yeah that was oh that was fucking weird yeah I also, I also do wish, um, 
I had this this idea in my mind for a while, Vidium and I, and I both did, is having throw combinations like King and Tekken. So mm. we had been playing around for so long on different combinations of stuff to do in a row. I definitely could never do it because I would fucking blow up after the second fucking uh, move, all that exertion. But um, uh, uh, that's something that like, that would be cool. It'll never happen. But I would like, you know, doing king style linking throws would be neat uh so this is uh i don't know if this one will have an answer based on what you said about fan interactions already but what's the craziest fan interaction you've had i do have one it's kind of a roundabout um so and it's funny because i know you asked this question i was like fuck i'm not gonna this is i'm gonna be the most boring person to say i don't really interact with fans which is true to an extent so at shows you know i don't really uh, interact with anyone however for my job um, I'm in Oakland a lot for my job and, um, I was doing, um, an inspection for this, uh, for this, uh, uh, property complex and the property manager, um, who's walking around with me keeps like looking at me weird <laughs> and, and, and I'm doing my, and I'm going through my whole fucking spiel, doing my little fucking dance, t- telling them about, you know, rodent exclusion and all this horse shit. And he's like, he's like, okay, are you, do you wrestle at hood slam? And I'm like, oh fuck my nightmares come true, dude. (laughs) (laughs) This is it. This is what I wake up in a cold sweat floor. You're like hood, hood (laughs) slam. No, what are you talking? I've never even, what are you talking? No, I had to give him like, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm pong. And I did all that. And, and he was a super fucking Matthew Berg's shout out to Matthew Berg. He's fucking super cool. I mean, he didn't, make me feel awkward about it at all and hit it off after that. It gave us something mutual to talk about because he was like a, he's was at every hood slam show front row person. So, I mean, I'm blind as a bat without my glasses and I try not to look anyone in the eye anyways. (laughs) So I didn't, you know, it's not like I knew from seeing him that he goes to the shows, but um, yeah, that was always really, and we still email cause you know, I, I do other business with them and it's always, you know, fuck the fans and the emails <laughs> and shit. So it's, it's one of those weird interactions that, that worked out well for me, but it's just, it's like, of course, I'm, I'm surprised honestly for the 16 years that I've been working there that I haven't been, cause I'm in Oakland so much yeah. that maybe I just thankfully have that like undescript white guy look that it just fucking look like everybody and no one wants to say anything. Yeah. Works my advantage. Uh, just make sure you don't reply all with fuck the fans. That's probably <laughs> yeah. good on, on a corporate no. email. Uh, no. When you're working with someone besides hurting you, what's the worst thing they could do when they're working with you in a match? Take it too seriously. Like I feel that in a match, if you're not having fun, if it's, if you're thinking that it's a job and it's something that has to be master crafted, I feel like it loses why someone should be doing it anymore like Mm. i don't know like i get it fucking wrestling started as a fucking hoax in the circuses like the whole thing is built on fucking deceit and getting money from people i understand that but like nowadays especially nowadays because of we've seen like because of hood slam and stuff like shikara things that are more fun based you know, you'll get great wrestling on those shows, no doubt. Fantastic matches. But the focus is much more geared not towards like kid gimmicks, but entertainment. Mm. And that sells more. That attracts people. Nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. 
And in order to get that crowd, you have to have something different to set yourself apart. So people that just don't, that take it too seriously, that don't get that aspect of it, that think everything has to be fucking Kawada and Masala from, you know, 89. And it's like, it's not, it, even in a match, just let loose and have fun, you know, I don't know. Because there's been a couple times where you're in the match with someone and they just don't want to have fun, you know, not to lick the old wound again. But Seth, when he was super otaku, that fucking ridiculous character was so serious in the ring that it was it's difficult to let loose and to Mm. be malleable and, and listen because you're so fucking tensed up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, to me, that's kind of a big no, no. It's just fuck. It's a fucking ridiculous thing we're doing. Mm. Just own it and enjoy it. Uh, what's a time when you were legitimately surprised by someone in the ring? Um, it happens quite a bit because there, there's like, you'll see someone or I'll see rather I'll see someone, you know, like Kenny K or, or Anton that are very naturally athletically gifted that I'm like, man, that's so like, I would love to do that. That's how I always wanted to do things, but never, never will never can. So I'm, I'm always impressed by people that have that level of coordination and memorization and, and, and able to perform like that's badass to me. Um, and then when Timothy Thatcher, when Timmy first started training or when I first, you know, saw him training in Sacramento, I remember being very, impressed almost like that you know you hear kurt angle was like picked up the business faster than you know Mm -hmm. anyone on the planet it's like i felt that same way about like tim always seemed to be even when he was fucking learning and knew next to nothing about chain wrestling he always looked like he was he was better at it than ever it was fucking crazy like it's just Mm -hmm. that's someone that deserves to be wherever they go in wrestling that's someone that fully deserves what they do. I was super impressed. Yeah. There's always like a certain presence that people have. And then it's that weird, like that it thing that you don't know how to like quantify. It's almost like when you see someone in an airport and you're like, I have a feeling this dude's famous and I have no idea who he is. Yeah. You look at him, you go like, he's in a band or something. (laughs) Something's going on. You know what I mean? Like you just see him like, what's going on here? But yeah, yeah, it's, it's that weird thing. And what's, and what's great about Timmy, at least, but, you know, back when, when I knew him and when he was training is a lot of times with people like that, that are, you know, have this outgoing radiating charisma, um, that it factor, usually there's some type of like overconfidence or exertion of confidence that comes with that, that, you know, as you're saying, that's what gets you, that person's carrying themselves differently. That that's that, but Timmy was always extremely humble. Like he was so proficient at what he does, but never expected to be treated any differently. Like it was that he had that charisma and that, that confidence, but without outwardly showing it or forcing it on people. And I always appreciated that because I never felt intimidated, even though he just started training and he was undoubtedly better than me at everything. Like I never felt, you know, I felt comfortable talking to him as awkward as it is to have a conversation with me. Has a booker tried to stiff you on money? And if yes. so, what are some fun excuses that they give for doing so? <laughs> so, um, 
sadly enough, I, I very rarely ever asked for money in wrestling. As I, again, for me, it was performance. I always felt bad asking for money. And this is my own neurosis, but um, for for years and years, I mean, it's I, it's probably easier for me to name all the payouts I've ever gotten than the ones I haven't. Um, or I chose not to. Um, but it's it comes from I feel that the money would be better spent on other people on the show that I think are better than me. Like I'm just happy to have a spot here. You don't need to the twenty bucks is whatever. Um, um, ironically, you know, that can be, I could only do that for so long realistically. So I stopped working shows like SPW, which I refuse. I mean, even, even if they offered to pay me and they have, I would refuse it because I owe, I re- I owe everything to, to ugly on that. So it's like, if I ever work SPW, I'm never going to get, I'll never ask for pay no matter what, but doing that, driving those hours, spending that amount of time there's only so long you can go without, without getting paid. So one of the few times where I made a trek because I was going to get paid was for a Lucha extreme show in Fresno. Vinny, I guess, I think, I think Vinny was booking it. And so Vinny's like, Hey, I know it's a long trek. They're doing, you know, TV tapings in Fresno. Um, you know, come out here and work wise guy, you know, just, just come out and, and work it and, and we'll get you paid. It'll be, you know, we'll take care of you. And I'm like, okay. So I drove all the way out to Fresno and did the taping, did my match with wise guy. And, and from what I recall, you know, I go see Vinny after the show and he's like, Oh bro, money's coming tomorrow. I'm sorry. Like we, I, I don't have anything for you. And I'm like, really? Cause I, like, I see people with money like here. And it's like, I'm pretty sure, no, I have no proof, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that Vinny's like, you know, because I was his boy, he's like, if, if I'm going to stiff anybody, you know, I could probably stiff Ryan cause he'll, he'll take it. He knew how, you know, forgiving or, you know, whatever I am, I'm not going to push the, the issue, try to be a tough guy and shake him down for fucking a hundred bucks or whatever the hell it was. But if, Hey, he, he, he might've just pocketed my payout. I have no idea. <laughs> but, but that's the, to, that's like the only time I can remember being like, well, that's kind of fucked up. Cause this is, it was a long trip for me. Um, I mean, I don't know if there's a detail I'm forgetting about in there that I don't think so. Um, you know, match with wise guy went just fine. Hmm. What's the hardest you've laughed at an indie show? Fuck. Uh, it's, it's a go-to answer for a few people, but it's pr- most likely it's something at hood slam. Uh, the entertainia shows, there's such fucking batshit crazy. And what's what's great, what I think is the funniest about Hood Slam for me personally is being in the back and hearing people going over the spot and being like, that's not going to fuck me. There's no way that can land and work, right? Like just the timing of it, like, I don't know, we'll see. And then the match goes on and it gets pulled off and it's just better than you ever thought because the energy in the crowd is such a huge part of what makes dumb shit work at Hood yeah. the, the dumbest ideas are safe there because it's, it really is, it's really not that much of a judging zone. Um, so I wish, I really wish I had a very specific thing, but just Hood Slam in general, um, there's so many, so many moments. Fucking Larry when Larry and I were, were tag teaming in, in hood slam, um, he came out with a different food every night 
and would throw it in the audience. And his whole thing was if we were playing a face role for a very a few times we were faces. And he's like, when we play faces, I throw out stuff that is like cereal, dry cereal or gummy bears, something that's not gross. But then when we were heels and he would come out, he'd bring fucking potato salad. He had mm-hmm. the fucking most God awful shit that he would throw at people. And I, I really felt bad for the fucking people in the audience. Cause he'd go out there and just start flinging that shit all over the place, having a fucking fantastic time. It <laughs> reminded me of like in Billy Madison, <laughs> like there's that point where he, where, where they're having the graduation parties between grades and Billy's friend is just fucking spraying a water hose on that kid oh, in the yeah. fucking lawn. He's like, who are you? I don't even know who you are. <laughs> Larry coming out there, just, just fucking going ham hock with a fucking egg salad in people's faces that are fucking high already and drunk. And now they got to have fucking egg yolk and shit in their, in their fucking hipster jeans that they have to watch. Like uh, I, I had to stop myself from, from corpsing a, a couple times and stuff like that so it was an in definitely an inward laugh on stuff like that uh what's uh the worst gimmick you've seen hmm hmm anything and and this is a lot of because creativity is so important to me anything that is kind of a knockoff or adjacent to an existing thing Mm. kind of irks me the wrong way. And it's not like where I'm like, oh, this is the fucking worst shit ever. I'm just kind of like, like, do better. Like you can be better than this. That's you're drifting on someone's coattails that it's not necessary. Like why want to be, why try to be the next stone cold where you can be the first you and try and do something creatively to further yourself. Like, and I understand it's just, it's my perspective because the creativity is important to me, but yeah, like, Seeing stuff like that, uh, I know this will get me heat, but like any type of fucking Bullet Club merch ripoff mm. really fucking rubs me the wrong way. Because again, it's a, it's that similar thing where it's like, do you? Yeah. Like you can do things that are referential, that's fine. But that's something that is very much people know what you're taking from that. It's not yeah. It's not doing a hood slam thing in a Nintendo font. Like that's someone, someone's creative juices that you're taking. It's not some corporation. So it's like, like with hood slam, when I wanted to do a shirt and I was making the the design for the shirt that I wanted for Pong, um, you know, I'm passing around to, you know, people like AJ and getting their opinion, you know, they're like, it needs to look like something. It needs to be referential to something else. Like make it look like, you know, some type of other video game thing. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I wanted to, I want the Pong shirt to be a Pong shirt. Yeah. It has the, you know, a starburst on it. Like it's the Nintendo seal of approval, but it doesn't look like the seal of approval itself. There's different things that are referential on there. Yeah. The, the font for Pong is the same font as Pang, the video game. So it's like, there's, there's, you know, weird references there. And, and I feel that, um, I don't know. I just, I don't want to be overly like hitting people over the head with unoriginality. Yeah. I guess. Well, uh, a couple points on some of the stuff he said. Uh, 
one, if you're still ripping off Bullet Club stuff at this point, it's kind of like you're like five years too late or yeah. even longer. Like you need to calm it down now. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but Take, please. Yeah, but uh, I, okay. So I'm a big uh, I'm a big movie nerd, movie and TV show nerd. I love like, and I know what you're talking about. Like the in that references have become have like taken over. <laughs> like uh, yeah, it's the it's the Stranger Things of it all. Where they're kind of like, yeah. look, they're dressed like, like Ghostbusters. Hey, this is look. the 80s. Yeah. Remember this thing? That the whole I'm, member buried. Meanwhile, I'm watching it and I'm like, there's no way any of these people would have like an evil dead poster. What are you insane? Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> where would you even get it at that get time? Get into the 90s and they'll be all over the place. Yeah. But where, fucking, where would you even get that in yet. the 80s? Where would you <laughs> yeah. buy that? It's not. It's, anyway, anyway. <laughs> point being, that's why one of my favorite movies is uh, Turbo Kid. So Turbo Kid, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Hold on, you frozen. Yes. Okay, sorry. Okay. Okay. It, yes, it came I have. Back. So Turbo Kid is a perfect pastiche of 80s style without actually having anything from the 80s in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it yeah, and it, and it's a similar thing to like um uh um it's not kung fu. It was the thing where they could, where the, why it, this is going to bother me really bad. I'm having a brain fart on this, where they kill Hitler. Oh, it's like yeah. a 30 minute short movie. Kung Fury. Kung Fury. There we go. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like Kung Fury, the same thing. It's like, it's so, you know, you, you smell the fucking Betamax on it, but it's not, it's not of that area. Turbo Kid was really fun. It's a lot of the similar, I think, uh, uh, Kung Fury like leaned much more into the campiness part of it, and yeah. Turbo Kid was much more of like um, reverence to yeah. like the feeling of an '80s movie without it had some it heart in it. I mean, yeah, like it was. I really enjoyed Turbo Kid. I should probably I should catch that one again. We watch that. Any once again, don't have to say any names. Any people, uh, you know, former WWF, WCW, ECW guys, or just big names, quote unquote, indie guys that have been on the same card as you, not necessarily worked in a match with you, that just rubbed you the wrong way. They gave you a bad vibe. They thought they were bigger than the show, acted like it, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, uh, Seth is has been discussed ad nauseum, so let's forget that. Um, I don't think, I, I, I don't hold it against him, but I worked a pro wrestling Bushido show that Colt Cabana worked. Um, and for that show, for whatever reason, I was, I, I had recently come back to wrestling. This is probably 2000. Um, yeah, it was 2011, 2012 area. Um, and I was just trying to do something nice, trying to do something different to, to not make everyone think I'm an asshole when I'm there because how quiet I am. So I brought a, like a fruit tray with me. Right. I went to the supermarket and got just like the fucking cold fruit tray. So I went around the locker room and offered people in fruit from the fruit. Hey, do you want anything on this? And I went over to Colt and he's like, the fuck are you doing? I'm like, do you want like pineapple, like fruits or something? He's like, why, why would the fuck would I want that? And I'm like, I, I, I don't know, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, okay. I, I'll move on, I guess. Thank you. Very appreciate you. Love the podcast. Bye. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Cause but we're human again, beings. That might've just been a weird, <laughs> again, be, because of, and because of like my Asperger's, but maybe there, there was 
it was done in a joking way. And I just completely missed the, the social cue of like, I just wasn't picking up what he was putting down, but that was, that was awkward. Everyone else was fine. Really. I just, I put a point on it to, to mention Brian Kendrick as being one of the good ones. Okay. Cause he was always super cool, super like super unpretentious and just there to help us when he was at hood slam. And, you know, complimented, gave me a compliment on, on one of my matches there, which I was over the moon about. Nice. Yeah, it seems like a good dude. I met, I only met him, like, at King of Indies, like, you know, two decades ago. So yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Spanky. <laughs> yeah. Spanky Brian Kendrick. Where he would just, like, wear, like, I don't know, Zubaz pants? What did he used to wear? What yeah, used? it was a Zubaz, <laughs> and he had that fucking hat, dude. Yeah. Shit. So straight. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, the final question, uh, I call it the touchy-feely question of the podcast, your pure joy in wrestling, the thing that gives you the goosebumps, when it, either before, during, or after a match, and you when you get it, you know, you get the goosebumps, and you're like, I fucking love this business. This is why I love wrestling. Um, aside from getting a good laugh in, during a match, because for Pong, that was, you know, a big thing is finding the, finding the places to put the punchline in there. Um, I really do love of the feeling of a really well done false finish um like that that getting getting that anticipation and that reaction of oh we really did think this was over and that kick out was so good that it's a guttural just a, a primal reaction from the audience that's not staged or they think they have to yell or say like I love that. And I also like there's, there's doesn't, hasn't happened too much with me, but um, when you get the really big ovations after like a, a blow off feud pin, right? Like, you know, when, when you have something uh, like Ricky Steamboat and Macho Man, that fucking pop from the blow off, you know, when you're finishing an angle and that final pin where the baby face has overcome and fucking beat, beat the heel like that release of the fans is fantastic because that's that's a fucking punchline to a, a payoff that's been building up for a year, and it's that I've it's euphoric to me when I I've only experienced it you know once or twice personally, but when I see it on a wrestling show, I'm like, man, that's that's the fucking business right there. That's it. Perfect. Well, brother, I appreciate you being on the show. I'm so happy you were able to come on here for me. But first, put yourself over, put Hood Slam over, do all the stuff. Yeah. Uh, whenever Hood Slam comes back, go see it live. But in the interim, you can watch all the Stoner U uh, streaming content, you know, hit up their Twitch and shit. Um, you know, stuff is, is still going on. Um, I technically am on Twitter at uh, uh, Pong FTF, but uh, I'm not. Again, I'm not that outgoing of a person. So if you want to reach out or message me, go ahead. But uh, um, I'm technically there, but I just lurk and read stuff. But uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. 